Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Good evening, one and all, and welcome to the Exxon. My name is Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I am your host. I am your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum, this that I call the Exxon. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, all around the world on our broadcast affiliates, broadcast networks, and of course, on our very own Exxon Broadcast Network at www.xzbn.net. If you'd like to check us out on social media sites, Exxon Radio TV, our main radio website is xzoneradiotv.com. And like I just said, for the network that we broadcast on 724-365 with a variety of hosts, a variety of different topics www.xzbn.net. My guest this hour is Dr. Robert Williscroft. He is a retired submariner, diver, scientific, I'm sorry, scientist, businessman, adventurer, author. He spent 22 months underwater, a year in the equatorial Pacific, three years in the Arctic, and a year at the geographic South Pole conducting atmospheric research. He has appeared on dozens of radio talk shows and nationally on the Michael Medved Show, CNBC, Fox News, just to name a few. Robert is the author of the Amazon bestseller Operation Ivy Bells, a semi-biographical Cold War um, submarine espionage techno-thriller. And uh, his books are all available 
on Amazon.com. And uh, what I'd like to do is get right into the meat of this interview. And uh, Dr. Robert Williscroft, thank you for joining us to the Exxon, and welcome to the Exxon Nation. Thank you very much. It's my delight to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself, sir. Well, uh, I was uh, born in a small town in Montana. Mm-hmm. My folks had escaped German Poland just before the war commenced, the Second World War. They were American missionaries, 20-somethings over there. They uh, settled down in eastern Montana, where I was born, and as soon as it was possible, they went back to Europe in 1950, where I and my younger sister grew up, first in Switzerland and then in Germany. Um, I uh, went to the States after about uh, 11 years of growing up in, in Europe, and did a little bit of college, joined the Navy, became a submariner, and uh, things sort of proceeded from there. Wow. Uh, where did you get your love from, uh, for science from? That's really, that, that's really an interesting question. I, although I grew up in a family that was very religious and uh, very fundamentalist in perspective, mm-hmm. my parents had the uh, awesome insight to give me the freedom to read what I wanted to. Uh, I can recall my mom would tell me when I was younger that uh, before I read a book, she wanted to look at it, and if I was old enough to understand it, she'd let me read it. And otherwise, she'd ask me to wait a little bit, and she never failed in that, and she never failed to let me read. And I just became totally fascinated with the world of science and the world of science fiction, which kind of kind of links to it as long as it's hard science fiction. And I just went from there. I, I covered the whole field. How many years uh, did you spend as a a submariner? Well, I spent the better part of seven years in submarines, Mm -hmm. uh, in and out of submarines, and 22 months of that time was actually spent underwater. Not sequentially, but the total time underwater. Uh, It was a a period that started in the early 1960s and went forward into the uh, early 1970s. Uh, I suspect that most of your listeners have seen the movie or read the book, The Hunt for Red October. Oh, definitely, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you remember the uh, black sonar technician, the precocious, smart, mm-hmm. <laughs> wise-ass uh, sonar technician, uh, Jonesy. Right. Well, that was me, except for skin color. I was Jonesy to a T. Wow. And I, I got lucky and was selected for a... Uh, uh, scholarship to the uh, University of Washington at a commissioning program and went back into submarines as a commissioned officer. So I saw it from both sides and, and <laughs> spent a, a really exciting few years doing that. All right, Doctor, please stand by. You and I have to take our first break. Exonation Dr. Robert Williscroft is our special guest, www.robertwilliscroft.com. This is the Exon. I am Rob McConnell. This is a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard seven days a week, 724-365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network. Whatever you do, don't go away. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, 
Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com. Take a step back in time and discover old Florida cuisine at Marsh Landing Restaurant in Felsmere, Florida. Enjoy delicacies such as frog legs, gator tail, catfish, and swamp cabbage, or enjoy the more traditional cuisine such as hand-cut Angus steaks, ribs, and seafood. Join us for breakfast with a southern flair featuring sweet potato pancakes, biscuits and gravy, and much more. Planning a party? Marsh Landing's private dining rooms can accommodate groups from 8 to 80 people. While you visit, enjoy the historic pictures, artifacts, and stories that line the walls. Marsh Landing is truly a unique experience. Marsh Landing Restaurant, 44 North Broadway in historic downtown Felsmere. Or visit marshlandingrestaurant.com. Marsh Landing, Old Florida cuisine at its best. If you're a seeker, don't miss the inspiring book, Shamanic Awakening, Between the Dark and the Daylight. This remarkable work chronicles shamanic counselor and indigenously trained dream decoder, Sander Cochran's 35 years of experience with diverse wisdom keepers throughout the Americas. Sandy's initiations across the British Isles, Turkey, Greece, and Egypt, combined with her knowledge of symbology, psychology, and myth, influence her dream blog and workshops. Sandy offers private readings, Sacred International Journeys, a meditative CD, and her book, Shamanic Awakening, to encourage you as you navigate your earthwalk and create a deeper connection to yourself. Find this and more at her website, starwalkervisions.com. Welcome back, one and all. 
Dr. Robert Williscroft is our special guest. www.robertwilliscroft.com is his uh, website address. And I must ask you, uh, Dr. Robert, you, uh, you, you made a reference to that, that wonderful movie where Sean Connery was defecting with a Russian nuclear sub, uh, The Hunt for Red October. You mentioned that you uh, were Jonesy, uh, the, the somewhat brash, brazen, yet ever so faithful uh, audio sonar person. Does uh, am I to understand from that that the hunt for Red October was a a real movie based on fact, or are you just putting yourself as the same kind of person as Jonesy was? I am putting myself in the same capacity as Jonesy. Right. The uh, the story was a story. Mm-hmm. It is a novel. Those events did not happen. Uh, in fact, I have some interesting insight into how. Uh, the story was actually written, but Tom Clancy had an old submarine uh, chief petty officer working with him. Mm-hmm. They they had laid out on the living room floor in his home one of these naval war games, and they were as he was putting together the plot, they would set up the scenario on this large grid and then roll the dice, and that would determine the direction of the story unless it didn't fit the plot he had in his mind, and then they'd roll the dice again. (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, What was the... I understand you also spent three years in the Arctic. What was that like? And what were you doing there for three years? uh, I I had transferred from the Navy into the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration Commissioned Corps, Mm -hmm. and NOAA was in the process of establishing a biologic and ecological baseline for the entire Arctic region, the Bering Sea, the coastline of Alaska, and uh, up, up uh, along the Bering Sea and, and into the Arctic Ocean itself. And to do that, you've got to put people out there. You've got to take measurements. You've got to take samples of the wildlife in order to determine from stomach content and parasite uh, content exactly where they fit into the into the uh, whole food chain and we spent three years doing this well uh, Noah spent uh, probably the better part of 12 or 13 years doing it but I participated in depth for three years uh, and we were we, we would push our way up into the Arctic ice pack in, in the Bering Sea mm-hmm. and fly out on helicopters get way out in the ice pack and, and take the samples and and do other interesting things. For example, I had my own private research project. We went about 100 miles up into the ice. The helicopter landed. We blew a hole in the ice, and I took several fellows, and we dove down uh, through the hole uh, underneath the ice pack and took measurements to get some sense of how the ice grows from the bottom. When you take a look at what is happening to the ecological destruction of the planet. How does that make you feel? Well, uh, I I guess I have some reservations about whether or not that's the way to describe it. All right. How would you describe uh, it? Sir? We you, have, you've been there, I you know, have We certainly have. Yeah, we, we've had some impact on, mm-hmm. on the planet, especially on a local basis. Uh, one of the best examples I could give you is the Los Angeles Basin with the local pollution, which was just horrific. Uh, we've managed to correct that somewhat. 
the the whole Arctic situation with the polar bears and the Arctic ice melting and so forth, this was a an unfortunate misunderstanding that was used for political purposes. It really shouldn't have been. Uh, the uh, the diminution, the, the reduction of the Arctic ice pack was part of something that, that happens on a regular basis. It's called the Atlantic Oscillation. Uh, back in about 1945, mm-hmm. we had a similar situation uh, where the Arctic uh, ice pack was reduced to the point where ships could, could drive through, and, and it was very much like it was uh, three or four years ago. In the meantime, the Arctic ice pack has come back, and it's uh, it's uh, as as icy as it ever has been in in human recorded history, the polar bear uh, population never was at risk. In fact, several years ago, when a uh, careful measurement was made by uh, researchers, biological researchers from NOAA and from Canada, from, mm-hmm. from your own government, it was determined that of the 13 specific uh, branches of polar bears, all but one had increased, not decreased, and the only one that had decreased had decreased because human populations had moved into their uh, regular uh, hunting zones. And so they pulled back and, and uh, the overall population of that particular branch went down a little bit. So it's, it's pretty much of a myth that's been used by people who have political agendas. And it's kind of too bad because there's real science there and there's real facts and real information. And it's, it's unfortunate that people twist them for their own uses rather than simply helping everybody understand what's really going on. So it seems that, if I'm understanding you, the entire concept of global warming is is not real? It's not the way it really well, is? it's real in the sense that the planet goes through uh, periodic variations. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've learned, let, let me interrupt myself to say that when I came out of the South Pole, I and everybody who was down there were convinced because of our carbon dioxide measurements and because of the models we were using at that time, we were convinced that humans were actively and dramatically affecting the uh, overall global temperature, and we were concerned about it. But not too long, and this was, this was in the early 1980s, and, right. and in the mid-80s, a couple of guys uh, were up on the Greenland ice, ice sheet, and they took some cores going, going, you know, as you go down in the ice, you go back in history, and they went back about 750,000 years. And what they found out is that there really is a correlation between atmospheric carbon dioxide and temperature, but surprisingly, it's reversed from what, it, what we thought it was. In other words, when the temperature goes up, sometime thereafter, several tens of years to hundreds of years thereafter, carbon dioxide goes up in the atmosphere. And when the temperature drops, carbon dioxide drops. And it has to do with, a, with the sink effect of the oceans, and they absorb and give off carbon dioxide. And in the meantime, researchers in Denmark and in Israel have come up with a very keen understanding of what really is driving global temperature, and it's, it's fascinating. Uh, our sun is actually a variable star. It has four major cycles, and I'm going to be a little bit imprecise here because I don't have the numbers directly in front of me. But uh, one of the cycles is about 11 years, one is about 90 years, one's about uh, 400 years, and one's about 1,500 years. Uh, Those are rough numbers, but it approximates. 
And what happens during those times is that the sun gets warmer and then it gets cooler, and the whole cycle lasts whatever those number of years are. And as you can kind of imagine, over history, over a long period of time, these cycles tend to come together and then separate back out so that there are times where there's a lot of solar activity because all of the cycles are together on a high, Mm -hmm. and there are other times when there is very little solar activity because they're all on the low. Now, what the uh, Danish researchers discovered is that cloud formation, 30% of it is dependent upon cosmic rays. Uh, The more cosmic rays you have, the more cloud formation you have, and if you stop and think about it, the more cloud formation you have, the less sunlight gets to the surface, and so the cooler the planet would be. And when there's a lot of solar activity, uh, the charged particles coming from the sun are captured by the Earth's magnetic field, and they shield the Earth from incoming cosmic rays, so you don't have as much cloud formation. When you don't have as much cloud formation, you have more insulation from the sun, and the Earth warms up. Uh, The correlation is virtually 100%, and the scientists who've been working on this and who've been looking at it are fully convinced that this is the cause for the periodic warming and cooling of our planet. And what's really fascinating is that we are going into a phase right now, have been for the last three and a half to four years, where... The cycles are coming together, and we are looking at a very real mini-ice age that we should begin to experience in the next three to four years. How long it's going to last is a little bit iffy because measuring these cycles is not quite as precise as saying, you know, strike three, you're out. It's, it's, it's a little fuzzier than that. But it's going to last for 20, 30, 50, maybe even 150 years, and then the Earth planet will start warming up again. So by the year 2020, you're going to find rivers freezing in the winter up and down the East Coast and and other interesting phenomenon that that clearly indicate that the planet is cooling down. So am I to understand that global warming is a farce? Not that it's a farce, but human-caused global warming is not true. Humans do not have the capacity for affecting global warming. Not even they, with the all humans, the not even with all the emissions that we put in the atmosphere. Well, I understand the basis of your question, mm-hmm. and it, it presumes the underlying presumption is that carbon dioxide drives global warming. But what we found out in Greenland is it doesn't. What drives global warming is the amount of charged particles coming from the sun that are captured by the Earth's magnetic magnetosphere, as I described a few moments ago. No no disrespect, doctor, no disrespect, but why is it that other members of the scientific community are saying the exact opposite to what you're saying? It depends on what members you're talking about. Uh, There are, uh, uh, there's a whole group of atmospheric scientists, Mm -hmm. uh, atmospheric physicists, and atmospheric chemists who have been studying this problem for a long time, and they all, in fact, it's their research that I rely upon for what I'm telling you about. Uh, And uh, in my my book, uh, The Check a Little Agenda, in the second edition, I go into some detail on this, and I I supply the research and and the papers and the the references and so forth. Uh, But the scientists you're talking about who don't agree are not scientists who've been researching the problem. They're scientists who are working in other areas, and they are simply accepting the word of 
people who are politically driven. And I can't explain to you why somebody lays his scientific integrity on the mm -hmm. line and proceeds to modify data to, uh, in fact, uh, some of the, some of the NOAA databases have been so uh, dramatically altered, corrupted by people who are trying to prove a point that they have lost the scientific community has lost the ability to use several years of data at this point because it's been so badly corrupted. And I'm talking about the raw data, not not the uh, refined data. And oh. so you can't go back mm -hmm. and change it. And of course, uh, the the other big factor is the almighty dollar. Uh, there's a huge, huge amount of money involved in uh, isolating carbon dioxide in in carbon banks and in, in, in so many areas where the dollar is driving it that, that the science has practically gone out the window. It's kind of sad. But if you follow the data, and there are people right down the line across the spectrum in nations across the world who are following the data, and they all agree at this point that humans are not driving hmm. climate change the sun is. All right, stand by, doctor. You and I have to take, doctor, stand by. You and I have to take another break. Exo Nation, Dr. Okay. Robert Williscroft is our special guest. www.robertwilliscroft.com. We'll be back on the other side of this break with the news. Don't go away. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. There's a legend shared by many indigenous cultures of a time when the nations were cast to the four corners of the world. Each nation was given a body of sacred knowledge that held a different portion of the truth to preserve. True reality could not be known until all the nations reunited, combining the information. If a single one was missing, the world could not be reborn and darkness would prevail. The Science of Magic Radio is dedicated to reuniting the sacred knowledge. With the understanding, none of us has all the answers, but together we can open new perceptions and possibilities. Through our combined vision, the world can be reborn into a place where darkness no longer prevails. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the Science of Magic daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, or visit us at thescienceofmagic.net. Gibbs A. Williams, Ph.D., is a practicing psychoanalyst, supervisor, researcher, and author in New York City. Much of his life has been dedicated to understanding nature and the uses of meaningful coincidences or synchronicities. His radical and original non-Jungian, non-mystical, non-magical theory of synchronicities illuminates much of the fog surrounding this challenging and perplexing topic. 
His ideas and manners are fresh, presented in a style that is both entertaining and highly informative. He is also an expert on crisis intervention, specially focused on violence reduction for the police and citizens, mastering anxiety, frustration, and stress without the use of medication, and effectively preventing and treating heroin addiction. Dr. Williams can be contacted at his email address at gwwilliamsny11 at aol.com or visit his website at... Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. True healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. Exonation, Dr. Robert Williscroft is our guest this hour, www.robertwilliscroft.com. Doctor, can you explain to me how 750,000 years ago carbon emissions were measuring the same as they are today? Um, I, I'm not trying to contradict you, but that's not what I said. All right, please. What I said uh, is okay. when, they, when they made the measurements, when they mm-hmm. went down to 750,000 years ago, and they looked at the bubbles that were trapped in the ice, right. they were able to measure the ratios of carbon dioxide and the other gases in the atmosphere. And by moving forward and backward from any given point, they were able to determine with other indicators what the global temperature was mm-hmm. approximately and what the carbon dioxide level was approximately. All right, let me, let me, uh, let me see if I understand that. this correct. The Earth is surrounded by our atmosphere, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Anything that goes into the atmosphere cannot go out into space. It cannot fade away. So why is it so hard to imagine that over the years, the many years that the planet has been in existence, that plants that are expelling CO2, 
factories that are expelling CO2, cars that are expelling carbon, uh, and, and, and all the smut and all the pollution put out by industry, jetliners, uh, methane gas from cows, that this is a contributing factor and that we are looking at climate change? That's a fair question. Let me, let me address that okay. very briefly by mentioning the name of two German scientists, uh, Gerhard Gerlich mm-hmm. and Ralph Choisner. Back in 2009, they uh, published a landmark paper in the International Journal of Modern Physics, uh, and the paper addressed the concept of a greenhouse. Now, the paper is technical. It's about 100 pages long with lots and lots of math. But the bottom line is that, as often happens in life, mm-hmm. human beings will look at something and say, yeah, we understand that. Now let's go on to something that's more complicated and more important. And we have done this with the concept of a greenhouse. The presumption we all had, I'm sure you have, I had it, most people have had it, is that the way a greenhouse works, sunlight comes through the, gr- the glass, uh, it changes its wavelength, uh, and the changed wavelength, the the uh, infrared, can't get back through the glass, mm-hmm. and so it's trapped inside the greenhouse, right. and that's how a greenhouse works. This is what everybody thought. Well, it turns out their analysis shows that isn't how a greenhouse works. The way a greenhouse works is that the sun comes through the glass, you got a, a closed environment, it hits the ground, the ground warms up, the warmed ground warms up the air inside the greenhouse, mm-hmm. and that's why a greenhouse gets warmer. If you open the doors of the greenhouse, the warm air escapes, and it doesn't get warmer. And the, the, their, their research basically said that our, our models that are operating on the assumption, our atmospheric models that are operating on the assumption that our atmosphere is a large planetary-sized greenhouse is simply incorrect. That isn't how the atmosphere works, and that isn't how it warms up or cools down. It isn't a greenhouse. Uh, they, they take 100 pages of, of math to prove this, mm-hmm. and their, their paper is hard to understand unless you've got a degree in math. Right. But the concept is easy to understand, especially when you take into account what I explained to you about the, uh, the effect of the increased charged particles from the sun and how that affects uh, cosmic rays and how that in turn affects the amount of clouds that are, right. that, are, that are formed and how that all comes together. So would you say, sir, that everything that science says is correct? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> so how do we that, know these two that, Germans actually have the correct information and that their explanation is real and correct? That's a fair question, and the way you, the way you check it is mm-hmm. to check it. You, you check their, uh, their experimental data, you try to duplicate what they've done, and you see if your duplication produces the same results that their experiments produced. It's called falsification. Mm -hmm. What you try to do is to falsify their experiments. And the problem we have had with the, with the uh, climate models that have been used to give us the results that we have is that 
there has been so much political pressure that the scientists who have indeed falsified them and showed them to be incorrect are simply pushed out of the arena. Uh, I can show you, uh, if we had the time and, and we had something visual instead of just words, I could show you chart after chart mm -hmm. of what the current climate models predict things ought to be and what they actually are, and you will see that, that there's no correlation. They're entirely and completely different. And so yet we continue to rely mm -hmm. on the models because it's the correct thing to do. When we see pictures coming from China of this, all the pollution, they're wearing masks on their on their faces to to help breathe, and we know that there are serious medical problems that the medical community are are pointing directly to the uh, the pollution. How do we, as non scientists, how do we say, well, you know what they're telling? Science is saying that. You know, greenhouse uh, effect isn't real, that climate control or climate change isn't really happening. And we look at the pictures of China today compared to 20 years ago, totally different pictures. Now, let, let me first off say climate change is very real. It's just humans aren't causing it. And what you're talking about in China mm -hmm. and uh, back in the 1950s in Los Angeles, that's also very real, but that's a local phenomenon. Now, it may be local over several hundred square miles, but that's a local phenomenon. I live in Denver, and there are times when the, when the, uh, the smog in Denver is choking. And this, this comes about because of something called an inversion layer in the atmosphere that basically keeps the junk where it is rather than allowing the winds to disperse it and make it go away. But where does all uh, that junk go? This is a question I asked you a few minutes ago. Where does all this junk... I never junk... answered it, did I? No, sir, you didn't. <laughs> Where does all this junk go that has been expelled into the atmosphere since nothing can escape the atmosphere of Earth? Well, it, it, it doesn't escape the atmosphere, but it's part, it's part of a cyclical action, and it gets absorbed by plants, it gets absorbed by the oceans, mm -hmm. it gets converted by bacteria in the ground, and over time it comes back into the atmosphere as oxygen, or as carbon dioxide, or even as nitrogen, uh, the the whole process of nature is a chemical clearinghouse that, if we don't overload it on a local basis, will keep our atmosphere clean and healthy and uh, good for us. But even at our worst, even even at our at the very worst that humans can put out, mm -hmm. what we're putting into the atmosphere can't affect the total planet. Our planet is huge. Uh, the amount of air and the amount of water is so large that it's kind of like spitting in the ocean when you talk about the effect that humans are having on it. There are local effects, but the global effects simply are exaggerated beyond all measure. I will, agree. I will agree with you that Mother Nature, in her infinite wisdom, developed this um, cleansing uh, mechanism. However, was Mother Nature expecting all the uh, man-made pollutants that are now being spewed into the atmosphere? How does That's she a fair question. Yeah. I'm a Re fair remember guy. Remember when we had leaded gas? Remember that? Yep. And, and it turned out that we found lead showing up in places no one ever expected it to. Uh, 
we were having an effect there, and we had to change our behavior in order to get that lead level back down to a level that nature could handle without further input from us. Uh, on the other hand, you may recall uh, a book written back in the 1960s called Silent Spring, where we were talking about DDT and the awful effect, I'm saying in quotes, the awful effect that DDT was having planet-wide. Mm -hmm. And we stopped using DDT, right. and as a result, malaria, which we had almost completely conquered, is now a scourge across the planet. And it turned out, in retrospect, that DDT was not the big problem that the author of Silent Spring thought it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, see, there we jumped to conclusions and made a mistake. Uh, with uh, lead in our environment, we didn't make a mistake. We got it right. And there are other areas where we got it right. And we have taken actions to make our environment, especially on a local and a regional basis, more compatible. All right. Let's, let's look at malaria for a second. What causes malaria? What is the cause of malaria? If we know DDT eradicates the possibility of, of, um, of malaria, what is the cause? Well, malaria is caused by a, uh, a, a parasite that mosquitoes carry. And when a mosquito carrying the parasite bites you, when it stings you, when it takes your blood, it leaves behind the uh, malarial uh, microbe and it festers in your system and at some point uh, over a over a cycle mm -hmm. it will bloom and you'll come up with a full full-fledged malaria and it, then your body's immune system hopefully will, will press it down and, okay. and then it keeps coming back and coming back unless so uh, modern medicine can gain access to the person and completely eradicate it from the uh, All right, so we're basically the saying that the... the stopped it was mm -hmm. by killing mosquitoes. Now, as... Here's, here's where I'm going with this. As industrialization progressed and we started polluting, isn't that when malaria started its vast incline because the mosquitoes had more place to thrive, they had more place to breed... Uh, you know, that's a, it's a fair question. I, I think it would take a great deal more data than either you or I have in front of us to be mm -hmm. able to argue that one way or another. But I think it's an interesting question that would be worthwhile investigating. But I, I can't really give you, I can't give you any response to that that would be anything more than a pure guess. You know, we also know that diphtheria, the Black Plague, was caused by human pollution. So yeah, how can, how can we not say then, Doctor? What we well, once again? Well, wait, a sec, wait a sec. Wait a sec. Wait a sec, sir. Wait, wait a sec. Wait a sec. Wait a sec. Here, hold on here. How can we say then that if if pollution has been responsible, whether on a local basis or not, has been responsible for disease in the past? that what we are polluting the air with today is not leading us to a, a, a global problem. Something doesn't make Again, sense I here. To, you know, we, we just can't I have both sides of the coin. 
I, I don't disagree with your underlying premise that if you keep putting something bad in the air mm-hmm. or somewhere else, yeah. in the water or, or, or anywhere where where it has the ability to uh, grow on some exponential basis. Hey, doctor, I hate to do this. Hold that thought. Is- We've got to take a break. Exonation, Dr. Robert Williscroft and I will return on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Network broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN TV. For more information on the X Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone radio show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone broadcast network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? I'm Dr. Kimberly McGeorge, and on The Secret to Everything, we will merge the practical with open investigation into all realms of the mysterious. We will talk to cutting-edge alternative health practitioners, those who inspire and motivate you in business and life, and of course, we will share stories of the paranormal, conspiracy, and cryptozoology. You will transform because of the frequency I carry, the frequencies my guests carry. Life may never be the same after you listen to this program. For the secret to everything is for you, the listener. For those who desire more in every area of their lives and believe that it can still be found. Listen and discover thesecrettoeverything.com. Thank you. 
Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500 plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. So let's just let's just uh, try to sum up the part that you and I have been talking about the greenhouse effect, climate change, and and what I perceive, and many other people around this world perceive as to be caused by humans, caused by industrialization, caused by coal emissions, caused by carbon emissions. Is there a way that we can actually reverse? what we have created. Well, the underlying presumption you're making is that we humans and our activities are causing Mm -hmm. climate change, and that is fundamentally untrue. However, we still have many things we can do to change our local and regional environments. Uh, Emissions from coal plants, for example, can be ameliorated by using mechanisms for cleaning the effluents from the coal plants, or we can avoid that entirely by using nuclear power plants, which don't have any bad emissions at all. They don't have any emissions. No, but they they, ha- they have use... bad effects. Look at Fukushima, for goodness sake, Three Mile Island. Well, Three Mile Island did not have a bad effect. I, I cover that in some detail in, uh, in my book, The Chicken Little Agenda, uh, Three Mile Island worked just like it was supposed to. There was no radiation release, and, and the containment building worked just fine. The Three Mile Island was caused by human error, which uh, uh, will probably not happen again because they changed their protocols. Uh, Fukushima was, was caused, of course, by uh, nature, uh, an unex, unexpected, uh, huge natural disaster, which uh, did all kinds of nasty things, including taking care of a nuclear power plant, and, and I'm not minimizing it, I'm just saying that there's sure. nothing humans could have done to have made that any better. It was it was as it was, and it was an act, an act of nature. But if you're putting a nuclear power plant beside open waters, should this not have been taken into consideration, the hypothesis put forward by the scientists and the engineers, that what happens if there's a tidal wave? Like, wouldn't this make common yeah, sense? Yeah, I... I, I, I Again, like I said several times in our conversation, I don't have a quarrel with what mm-hmm. you just said. Uh, I think it should have been taken into account, and it clearly wasn't, and that turned out to be a problem. Uh, on the other hand, though, those who, those who look at it from a different perspective say that that kind of a tsunami is so rare that 
to to remove the benefits of producing power through nuclear energy uh, just because there might be a tsunami sometime uh, is not realistic. In this case, they would have been wrong, but generally speaking, across the globe, they probably are right. What about the nuclear plant in Russia? Well, Chernobyl, uh, I also discussed that in mm-hmm. some detail in uh, the Chicken Little Agenda, but Chernobyl was caused uh, through direct human error and intervention in the safety systems that were built up there. I, I had a, the privilege of speaking directly with three Hanford engineers who had just come back from Chernobyl, were part of the investigative team, and they sat down in my office and briefed me on what mm-hmm. took place. I can take a minute and give you a, a sort of the short version sure. of what happened. Yeah, I'd love uh, to hear it. The, uh, the there was a I don't do not know the fellow's name, but there there was an engineer in the overall system. He was not nuclear trained, but but he'd come up with an idea that it would be possible to. And I have to interrupt a second. The the Chernobyl plant was a kind of plant which is a little bit a little bit like uh, an upside-down bowl with a ball on the top of it. If something goes wrong, the ball will roll off the bowl unless you have some type of containment to stop it from rolling off. Around the world, otherwise, nuclear power plants are more like a bowl that's right side up with the ball in the bottom, and if it rolls off the bottom, it goes back to the center of the bottom. In any case, uh, they had to shut down the, the Chernobyl plant once a year to do uh, housekeeping, clean the rods, and so forth. And during this time, they weren't producing electricity, and this was a big money loss to the uh, committee that was running it. And this engineer came up with a what, he, what seemed like a, a, a viable way to keep part of the plant online while part of it was being shut down. I'm not going to go into the details here, but... If he had been nuclear trained, if he had gone through the whole educational process to become a nuclear engineer, he would have understood that that couldn't work. But the people, the, the people uh, back in Moscow who were running it listened to him, and they gave him a chance to make it happen. Well, the first time he tried it, the plant just shut down on him, and it didn't work. And so he was facing the possibility of either going to Siberia for the rest of his life or making it work the second time. And the committee gave him the opportunity to do it a second time. And he went back and he ordered all, every single one of the four safety systems to be taken offline so that he could keep, try out his experiment without the plant shutting down. So there were no safety measures at all in the system and when he started his experiment to show how this would work the plant did exactly what it was supposed to do if somebody does that which it went into a runaway meltdown and the uh, the ensuing disaster was a direct result of that he died in the process but you might find it interesting that despite all of the reports about the hundreds of thousands of people who were hurt and mm-hmm. all of this in fact only five or six people died. There were only 30 or so people who suffered serious radiation burns, and uh, there were no measurable long-term effects, effects at all insofar as the uh, United Nations and Nuclear Energy uh, Agency was able to measure it. 
I have the details of all that, again, at the end of the chapter on Chernobyl in my book, The Chicken Little Agenda, but it was blown way out of proportion. It should never, ever have happened. They should never have allowed this engineer anywhere near a nuclear power plant. All right, we've got a few minutes left, and, I, and I'd like to ask, ask you this question. Why isn't science just just going gun-ho with alternative energy? I don't understand why we don't have vehicles that do not need fossil fuel. Why there aren't more wind turbines providing us electricity. Why we're not use, using more tidal generators. Why science isn't actually looking for better ways to use alternative energy than the old tried and true. Back in 1981, I presented a paper in Tokyo at the third World Hydrogen Energy Conference where I was proposing solar power satellites that would beam energy to oceanic locations, turning seawater into oxygen and hydrogen, and then shipping the hydrogen to uh, landside terminals where it would be piped uh, to wherever Mm -hmm. it needed to be, uh, replacing our electrical grid with uh, hydrogen pipelines and when hydrogen burns, it turns into water vapor. Right. Uh, it would have been a totally pollution-free uh, method uh, for producing power as much as we needed throughout the world uh, with the systems out in space, no pollution whatsoever. Uh, so we have thought about these things, but again, the almighty dollar or the yen or the yuan or the peso or whatever it is sticks its head into the into the equation and makes it very difficult. Uh, and, you know, we've all seen wind farms, and wind farms are pretty cool, but the wind doesn't blow all the time, and you have to have something, some way of providing the energy when the wind isn't blowing, when the sun isn't shining. Uh, and there are ways, and I think with time we'll get there. And, of course, nuclear power is one of those ways, but it has it has its problems, as we were just discussing. It's got big PR problems. I'm sorry, I missed it, that. It has a lot of, you know, nuclear nuclear PR energy PR. has mega uh, mega pers- uh, you know um, public relations problems. The public isn't for nuclear energy. Right. Yeah, yeah, it does. You know, down in Antarctica, where I spent a year, mm-hmm. uh, the Navy put in a, a small submarine nuclear power plant to supply power for the uh, McMurdo Station. Absolutely pollution-free. It was run by three guys, completely safe, no pollution. And uh, the, uh, the, the green uh, organized groups around the world put up such a fuss uh, that the Navy threw its hands in the air and said, we don't need this stuff. You know, we don't, we don't need all of this. They pulled the nuclear power plant out, mm-hmm. and they put a oil-fired power plant in its place. And now, over a hundred thousand miles, square miles of pristine uh, Antarctic wasteland are polluted uh, from this uh, oil-fired power plant that's producing power. So it's there. There are more than one side to this coin. Yeah, I understand this. But what was the what was the the core reason for going and investigating in the Arctic. What was accomplished by the study? Yeah, it is is a pristine environment. It is a place where we can ask questions 
and, and run experiments that we can do nowhere else on Earth. That's the primary reason. It is, uh, for one thing, when you, when you get near the magnetic pole, mm -hmm. you don't have to worry, you, you're not dealing with the magnetic flux lines, the magnetic field that you normally have, so right. you can run experiments relating to that. Uh, you can run experiments. Uh, I had my lab down there was called the Clean Air Lab, and we had air that was absolutely clean. Hey, Doc, I hate to do this, and but you can... and I have to say so long for now. We'll have to have you back on in the future so that we can finish this discussion. So thank you very much for joining us. And Exxon Nation, if you'd like more information on Dr. Williscroft, www.robertwilliscroft.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. <laughs> 